Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. In this second part of our parenting seminar, we will broach the topic of disciplining children. For many of us, this is the hardest part of parenting. We'd rather enjoy harmony in our homes rather than having to lay down the law. Even so, the scriptures call us to do the hard work of holding our children accountable. In this brief but incredibly helpful episode, you'll learn about setting proportionate consequences to disobeying, affirming children when they do what is right, taking away privileges like screen time, and of course, the controversial topic of spanking. Your teachers for this session are Russell and Joelle Brown, the proud parents of two young children, Hosanna and Isaiah, who at the time of this recording were five and three and a half years old. They live in Rhode Island and serve in several ministries at Living Faith Christian Church. Here now is episode 326, part two of our parenting class, Disciplining Children with Russell and Joelle Brown. My name is Russell Brown. This is my wife, Joelle, if you didn't know. Hi. Uh, we're, uh, we're sharing on discipline. We have a five and a half and a three and a half year old, and, uh, and we struggle. We struggle. But we, um, we kind of immersed ourselves into this. We were you know, convicted in some areas as we're looking into this uh, topic of discipline. We were encouraged in other areas, and so uh, we're excited about looking into this and seeing what God says about discipline and how we should discipline our children. Uh, so first off, I thought we could get into our purpose of parenting. What is our purpose of parenting? But I look at parenting as an opportunity to glorify God. You know, in what ways can we make this great and awesome God that we love and that we serve, make uh, him well known to others? And so uh, we, again, as, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we want people to be able to see the way that we parent and say, wow, this is something about the way that they parent. There's something different than how the world does it. And, uh, and then we can be able to point them to this great and awesome God who helps us in that, that area. And then also, uh, another way is that we glorify God is that God uses parenting to help mold us. And, uh, and I know we're talking a lot about the kids, but God uses parenting to help, to help us with our walk for him and our pursuit of, of him. I think of the area of, uh, of patience. At my, uh, at my job, uh, those who don't know I'm a police officer, we deal with a lot of like, people who are drunk, a lot of people who have uh, different issues, this and the other. And one of the things that I partially prided myself in was that uh, is having patience. So when I'd go to calls, I'd deal with people. And uh, I found that, you know, this is definitely because of God, but I found out in a lot of these areas, I'm very reserved. I was able to come out of it and be like, oh, I didn't lose my cool like the other officer did. And so there was even one point where, one of the most awkward parts of my career, where another officer was like, man, how do you stay so patient during that thing? And then he said his quote, was the patience of a god or something. It was like the most awkward thing that he ever said. So anyways, I kind of I walked away and I was, like, I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, and part of me, like, I'm glorifying God and other part of me is like, yeah, like, I have this patience type thing. And then we, we had kids and I think God is using that to kind of show me, like, you're not that patient at all. Would you say I'm patient with the kids? Uh, yeah, all right. No <laughs> that, comment. No comment. So God, you know, can come in and he can kind of take qualities that are in you that or weaknesses that are in you and he can use parenting to help mold you into a better image of of him and his son Jesus. Once I had kids I felt like I really fully understood God's love for me and like the unconditionalness, his forgiveness, like all of those the ways that he loves us became so much more true and like personal to me. 
Yeah, showing us his love. I think of even times where like our kids disobey. I think about when like, you know, because you, you, you love these kids, but when they do something wrong, how much it bothers you more, you know, because it's your kid type thing. So I'm thinking about, all right, well, how about when we disobey God? I'm trying to think of like his, you know, how he sees us in that, that situation. Another way that we, uh, the purpose of parenting is to disciple our kids to Christ. You know, we have this great commission uh, to make uh, followers of Jesus so that way these people can be brought to God. And so who better than our kids to bring to God through Jesus? You know, we want to, you know, there's nothing more that I want for my two kids than for them to grow up loving God and being a follower of Jesus. So we have this uh, discipling kids to Christ and also being an instrument or tool in what God wants us to do in the child. They're not ours, they're God's. And we have zero ability to change our child's heart. Only God does. And we can be the tool or the vessel to help with that. And parents are a team. We need to work together. That's the way God intended it and designed it, was for two parents to be involved. And you need to be on like the same page and working together, doing the discipling yeah. together. I love it when uh, in the moment I do something as a parent and then my wife kind of steps in and is like, hey, listen, like, that's not the, you're, you're losing your cool or you're, you're lacking your patience. So maybe in the moment I might not like it or, or whatever, or I'm like, all right, that's too many times you did it. But in that time, you have each other to kind of work off each other and be like, hey, listen, this is the way that or uh, God is Or after the it. fact when the kids aren't there yeah, is definitely when I try yeah, to it say is, something it is, it is. <laughs> in front of them. <laughs> We're gonna get into the, the heart of a child now. So now we understand our purpose for parenting. What is the child's heart? When they're born, they're not these precious little angels. Sometimes <laughs> we think they are. And actually, I've had people say to me, wow, your kids are so great. And then I say sarcastically, yeah, they're just little angels. <laughs> they were made in God's image, but in Proverbs 22:15, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. It has a vice grip hold on us, and it takes a lot of effort on the parent's part to remove them from that bondage and that hold. We need a power that is greater than us in order to remove that hold. Without the Holy Spirit, uh, the sinful nature pursues its own desires. So here these kids are, they're not filled with the Holy Spirit, like we are, like hopefully we are. Their fleshes want to pursue their own desires. They want to go after their own things. And so the scripture kind of is that guide for, for these kids. We can use the scripture until you know they get filled with the Holy Spirit. Now they can use the scripture and be filled with God's Spirit that can also... Uh, uh, help them. They don't come out loving authority, these kids. You know, they're, they're totally against authority. And so with these forces opposed to each other, here we are understanding that they're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, my brother used to think sometimes when we're talking about people at work or, or hey, you know, this person did this or this person did this. My brother's like, what do you expect? You know, it's like, what do you expect from somebody who's not a Christian, who's not filled with the Holy Spirit? Don't let it get you, you know, your emotions all up the side and the other. This is what is expected from someone who's not filled with the Holy Spirit. So now we're going to get into what is discipline. Uh, I heard somebody say, hey, listen, like you want to be the ones, you love your kids more than anybody else. You want to be the one that disciplines them before someone else down the line who doesn't really have a sincere heart for them attempts to do it and then do it in a messy way. So discipline, given that several meanings of discipline deal with study, governing one's behavior and instruction, one might assume that the word's first meaning in English had to do with education. In fact, the earliest known use of discipline appears to be uh, punishment related. Dictionary.com's definition is the practice of training people to obey rules or a code of behavior. And the second definition I had was using punishment, 
by way of correction and training to correct disobedience. So an example would be if a kid steals a toy from their sibling, you first correct them and train them that that's not right, you shouldn't take their toy. And then if they do it again, they're rebelling against your command and then they've earned a punishment. So uh, what does this look like in our children? We're going to be modeling this thing, uh, these same three things throughout the, the rest of our, our time here. But uh, what does this look like uh, in our children? I think first you're going to have consequences to disobedience. And we're going to get into this in a little more detail a little later. But just consequences to disobedience. There's negative effects that happen because of their disobedience. They do something, and then there's just a negative effect to it. And we'll, again, we'll get into that a little more. Another. The second one is a loss of a privilege. It's just a privilege that has value is taken away from them. And another uh, way of doing this with younger children is a timeout. And then the third is uh, punishment and communication. And communication, like reproof, uh, you know, reproof is words of disapproval of behavior or, or an act. But uh, so punishment and communication. I have this quote here that says punishment. It says, we idolize comfort and we're, we are in danger of thinking pain to be worse than sin. It may be well, therefore, to consider some of the disadvantages of neglecting the old-fashioned methods of chastisement. This is from a, a pulpit commentary in, in Proverbs. So we're going to get into these in a little more detail in a second. Now we just want to get into the motivation behind discipline. So our motivation for disciplining our children is that we want it to go well with them. So the classic verse that most kids have memorized, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And when I have, mostly Hosanna quotes it, she always stops before the it will go well with you part, and I'm like, no, that's the best part. <laughs> you have to say the end. <laughs> Proverbs 6, 20 through 23, my son, obey your father's commands and don't neglect your mother's instructions. Keep their words always in your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, their counsel will lead you. When you sleep, they will protect you. When you wake up, they will advise you. For the command is a lamp and their instruction a light. Their correction, discipline is the way to life. Yeah, I think of, uh, you know, again, with God, when we think of his commandments, sometimes when I explain this to people, maybe don't have a, a relationship with God or the same or the other, you know, they might see God as like putting these words, and God's not like, he's not putting these commands out and just to say, you know, hop on one foot and like make sure you keep doing it. Like there's a purpose behind, he loves us and he knows what's gonna keep us uh, protected, what's gonna keep us safe. His wisdom's way greater than ours, and so he comes out with these commands to utilize that, to love us, to keep us, uh, you know, in safety. He's just not throwing these things out. And so uh, the second thing is, uh, and I got this from the shepherd in a child's heart. I think we, we went through this a few years ago, but keep the kids in the circle of, of blessing. I thought this, this was really helpful to me um, as she was saying how Hosanna didn't get the last part of, like, so it may go well with you. The, basically, the circle of blessing is keeping the people in, keeping our kids inside of this circle. And so he said, he even recommended, hey, draw this circle. And then at times when, so here the kid is, when they're obeying, they're obeying their parents and they're honoring their father or mother, it's going well with them. They, they, can, they can live a long life. They're inside this circle. I gotta switch colors. Uh, otherwise, when they disobey and they dishonor, now they're outside of the circle of safety, of blessing, and they're in a dangerous zone. 
And so our job is, all right, we, we want to get them back into that circle. And so he talks about having this circle. And sometimes you even explain to them, hey, listen, you're outside of this circle. And so the reason why we're saying don't do this is because we want you into this circle of blessing, into this circle of safety. Right now you're out of it. And so how do we get them back in? That's through discipline and through correction. Um, and we'll, we can talk more about that in a little bit. Part of uh, discipline is establishing clear boundaries. Boundaries are comforting for everyone, for the parents and the kids. They're especially comforting to children who are trying to figure out the world and they're testing their limits and their authority. It's helpful to think of your parenting role as you're shepherding your child and you're guiding them on the path and correcting them along the way. And I think that like consistency is key. Like once you have the boundaries set, you need to stay with them and then it's clear the expectations for everyone. And uh, one, one last motivation uh, behind discipline our kids, we, we want to save them. Um, when we discipline our children, we are not merely trying to produce model subjects. We are trying to save them by God's grace from themselves. The foolishness that is so deeply planted there must be rooted out. And we're talking about the heart of like what we're going to be doing when, you know, when we're disciplining. But like, this is ultimately like we want to lead them again as we think about discipling them to Christ. We want to lead them out of their folly, but ultimately into being saved. And, uh, and so some of this we'll see uh, later on is gonna, gonna get us into that mode. Uh, okay, so you may say, all right, listen, discipline isn't what's gonna save my child or, or have it go well with them. And, and our response to you would be that the greatest, wisest being to ever exist, the one who created the universe and all that is good, used and uses discipline on people. So we're gonna look to God and we'll see, like, does God use discipline? And so, again, we're, we're sticking with these three things. One, consequences to disobeying. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 5, uh, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more, much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. If, if you were to ask my wife, she would say that I'm probably, when it comes to discipline, partially probably because it's like I'm doing it a lot all day, and then you come home with the kids. But like, I, I'm not huge on the discipline. I lack in this area. And even looking into this, I'm like, I should be way better at disciplining uh, my kids. And so part of the reason is in the moment, like, you know, I love these kids, and I'm like, man, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to discipline them in one form or the other because I love them so much. I don't want to see, you know, them going through the actual discipline. Uh, but this is saying, actually, if you're not disciplining them, you're not actually loving them fully. And so, as we see how God deals with us, uh, one way again is we're looking at the consequences. Uh, you have consequences of disobeying the three ways. God has a reap what we sow consequences already in place to build wisdom. Esau recklessly traded his birthright for lentil stew and experienced the natural impact. He got stew and no birthright. And Jacob learned that swindling sends you running for your life. No additional punishment was necessary for these men. The high price they paid made them older, wiser, and eventually ready to reconcile. So sometimes you'll have something in the moment and they'll just have the consequences put in after it. Uh, Sean looked at one earlier with, with Saul. So sometimes you in your disobedience as a consequence to it. 
And the second one is loss of privilege. It's the first one we see in scripture is the loss of privilege with Adam and Eve in the garden when they um, didn't listen to God's command and they were kicked out of the garden. That was the, concept, or the loss of privilege that they received for disobeying God. They weren't allowed to stay in the kingdom, I mean the garden. And then another one is Moses. When he struck the rock angrily, he was no longer had the privilege of leading God's people into the promised land. And finally, again, we're going to see punishment slash uh, reproof. In Leviticus 26, it starts off, you know, talking about the blessings of, of uh, obedience, and then it gets into the penalties of disobedience. In verse 14, uh, but if you do not obey me and do not carry out all these commandments, if instead you reject my statutes and if your soul abhors my ordinances so as not to carry out all my commandments and so break my covenant, I in turn will do this to you. I will point over you a sudden terror, consumption, and fever that will waste away in the eyes and cause the soul to pine away. Also, you will sow your need uselessly, for the enemies will eat it up. I will set my face against you so that you will be struck down before your enemies, and those who hate you will rule over you, and you will flee when no one is pursuing you. If also after these things you do not obey me, so he lists out these penalties, these, these punishments that they have for disobeying, and he's looking to see, hey, listen, are you going to obey me after these things? And then he says, all right, if you, if you don't obey me, then he's going to go right back into it again. I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will also break down your pride of power. I will also make your sky like iron and your earth like bronze. Your strength will be spent uselessly for your land will not yield its produce and the trees, the land will not yield their fruit. Then he says, if then you act with hostility against me and are unwilling to obey me. So again, he's like, hey, listen, if you still don't obey me, then he goes into another list again of more punishment and more. So, so he's, he's using this to try to be like as a tool to get them back into that circle, back into this, uh, this right relationship with him and back into this uh, area of obedience. God uses punishment to get his people to get their obedience to him together. Uh, you think of the 10 plagues, like, you know, he's, uh, Moses is continually going to him, let my people go, he disobeys, and here comes some stuff. All right, now you're going to obey? Nope, doesn't do it. And so this is back and forth. Uh, God punished the angels who did wrong. Uh, Miriam gets punished with leprosy. David was punished for adultery with Bathsheba, with the sickness and loss of his child. You know, I was thinking of even other ones, and, and, and we're not God in this sense, but like some of them are like, uh, what's his name, who touches the ark, is that Uzzah, who touches it, and, and he ends up, boom. And so we think, all right, if you think, you know, maybe we're going to get into some of this stuff, and you're like, oh, I don't want to spank my child, this and the other. If you think about God's punishment, it's like, it's swift, and he's trying to show you the importance of obedience. So all throughout the Bible, discipline is encouraged as good. Some verses here. Uh, first one, my child, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. And Psalms 94, 12, joyful are those you discipline, Lord, those you teach with your instructions. Proverbs 12, 1, to learn you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 23, 13, or 14, do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from the grave, from Sheol. Um, discipline is the evidence of our love for our children. When we consistently discipline and do it with the right attitude, compassionately, under control, with the consistent boundaries and consequences, and we're focused on our child getting the best outcome possible, we're expressing our love the same as God did to his people. 
It might seem uncomfortable to both us and the children, but in the long run, it's the most selfless, compassionate thing that we can do to set our child up for happiness and life and fruitfulness in the kingdom. So now uh, the question is, how does our discipline look towards our children? And you know, maybe in a more like practical sense. I get the best one, affirmation. So when our children are doing things that are right, we want to affirm that and make sure that they know that we're recognizing the good, not just the things that they're doing wrong. So if we're always just saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, but Hosanna is our five-year-old girl and she's very sweet and tender to her brother, not that he always receives it well, but sometimes he does. So it, she likes to take care of him, so I try to affirm her, you know, that was really nice that you went and you got this for him or that. Just those small affirmations, not all the time and not, you know, overly where you're, they think they're hot stuff. We saw one example um, where it's like a checks and balance, like a checking account. You have to interplay between correction and affirmation just like a checking account. You have to make deposits, which are the affirmations, before you can make withdrawals, which are the corrections. So there just needs to be a balance there because you don't want to just be reproving, 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 and then, you know, it just kind of brings them down instead of building them up and then just correcting them. Yeah, we'll see that a little more in this chart we'll look at at the end. There's a few, few things that I have here. Discipline is about our child, and it's not about us. Discipline is done in love. The part is, this isn't an, oh, my child is annoying me, or oh, my child is irritating me, so I have to do something to get them to stop annoying me or irritating me. I was thinking about this, about this guy at work that I'm training. Uh, he's brand new, and, uh, and so we've been training a lot of people, and basically, the best part of my job is that I get to sit in a car by myself. I don't have like other people around me, uh, but for me, like, I'm not, I like to be to myself, introvert, whatever. But now, when I'm training someone, I have somebody right by, beside me the whole time. And not only do I have somebody right beside me, but I have somebody who's like, you, want, you know how to do the job, and you have to be patient with this person to be able to do the job. So here I am, I'm sitting with this kid. Uh, he's young, 23, and uh, he thinks he knows a little more about the job than he really actually does. And so I'm sitting with him, and like every single day I'm dealing with, he talks a lot nonstop. He has a uh, moderate to high case of uh, halitosis. <laughs> we're, in, we're in the car, and he has dragon breath. And so here I am sitting there, and I'm like trying to like, I want to do the job right. Like we, I want him to train him, and I'm like in there, and so. I'm kind of like, stuff's like just getting in me where like I'm sitting here, he's talking nonstop, he's asking questions. If I were on that call, I'd probably do this. If I was on that call. And so finally we get to a call and uh, there was an accident in the middle of the roadway. First thing you do is you go out, you want to make sure everyone's safe. You know, you safe, you safe. The next thing that he should have did was, okay, let's make the area safe. Let's get the cars off the roadway. And he's, I'm like, and he's walking around. He's not, and so I'm like standing there, there's cars are whizzing by us. We're in the middle of the road. Fire truck has to go to another call. And I'm like, hey, what are you doing? And uh, he's like, I'm gonna grab statements from them and them. And so like, I kinda, and I guess as angry as I get type of thing, got short with them and I'm like, there's vehicles in the middle of the road, you gotta get them off the road. And like, I was real short with them. And so a lot of that, the way that I did it was this built up irritation of like being in the car with them, dealing with all this stuff, this and the other. And so exhibited in that way. And he probably 
you know, maybe in the moment, you know, we're, we're told to be hard on these kids when we're, when we're training them and the other. But then I'm thinking about it afterwards, and I was convicted at 2, 2 a.m. that night where I'm like, I was short with that kid. And that probably wasn't the best way. I didn't display God. I didn't display Christ in my I probably should have did it in a more loving way. But in that moment, I was irritated. And so same thing with our kids. We shouldn't, if we're angry, we don't, you know, angry or irritated or this and the other. That shouldn't come out in our uh, discipline of them. So it can't be a heat of the moment, emotional reaction. Uh, I was listening to uh, Dr. Marianne Yaconis's some of her stuff, and she says, hey, in the moment, she would tap her spoon on the table just to get her to calm down before she goes and exhibits the discipline. You want to get your heart right in that moment. You're not exerting superior authority and strength over your child, which is sometimes what you know fathers do, this you know, physically and verbally, be like, hey, listen, I'm 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 stronger than you, I'm smarter than you, and you're trying to exhibit this on them. Uh, one one article is saying that this is a way of provoking our child to anger, you know, with Ephesians uh, 6 4. And it's not without reconciliation and repair. You know, we need to talk about the offenses and what was going on in, in the mind and the heart when it was done. And uh, we fear God, we want to obey God, and we want to get our child back into the circle of obedience where blessing is. That's our heart and our motivation. So again, practical ways discipline is exhibited. Again, we're right back. The consequences to disobeying. Um, and these just, they, they play out as they play out. Um, I was thinking of an example with my daughter. She's constantly told to not stand on the chairs. Like, don't stand on the chairs. She's standing on the kitchen chairs. Don't stand on the chairs. And this goes over like the course of time. Don't stand on the chairs. And then uh, there was one point where she's standing on the chair and sure enough, the chair tipped over and she fell on the ground. And so um, in that moment, she received the consequence of her disobedience. And so uh, our place isn't to run up to the kid and then smack them again and be like, you disobeyed, you know, and add on top of that thing, which is, and again, I, I didn't go up to my kid and smack them, but that was one thing where it's like, again, I'm thinking of like God's love and, and, and I see his love, but like in the moment when you tell them not to do something, you want things to be safe for them and, and you love them, when they do something, my emotions get up. So like when she fell, I think in that particular one, or was another one where like my emotions went up because it was like her disobedience caused her to get hurt. I got upset because her disobedience caused her to get hurt and that bothered me even more. And so then that got me all up. And so then she, that was a point where she had to come in and be like, you don't come in and like, what are you doing? I told you not to stand, stand on the chair, blah, blah, blah. You know, Laying you come. Laying on the crap. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, what, what are you doing? doing? <laughs> you come in, you know, you, you be there. You, you comfort the child. This is an opportunity to comfort the child, console them. And then when they're ready, you teach and correct them. Hey, listen, do you see why it goes well with you when you obey your, your, your uh, mm -hmm. parents? Yeah. And they remember it a lot more. They do. That yeah. way, when it's the natural consequence. Mm -hmm. The second way is the loss of privileges. In order for it to be effective, it has to be something that they value and they cherish. And if it can be associated directly with the crime that was committed. So an example would be like, you know, disrespectful behavior, then they can't go to a sleepover where they're expected to be respectful to the other, you know, family. Our kids are young, so they don't really see in the future too much. So we don't actually use this. Well, I don't really use this one very much. But with the older and the teenagers, like devices, like you can't use your iPad or you can't watch TV, those types of things that they value and they really want to do, when you take it away, then the next time they will consider, oh, if I don't listen, I'm going to lose my device. Isaiah's three and a half, but he's actually in his terrible twos. I don't know why they call it terrible twos, because it's, it's three in our house. So the other day, I was looking on the iPad at something. I was reading an email, and he wanted the iPad, and he's sitting next to me, and he's trying to take it, and he's, like, crying. I want the iPad. 
said, it's mommy's turn right now. When my turn's over, you can have a turn. And he just kept crying and crying. I said, oh, now you don't get a turn. <laughs> like, he lost his privilege. He was going to get one. So, whatever. He went to his room. He cried a lot. Then, I, you know, when you're done crying, you can come back out. So he came back out and he said, so can I have the iPad now? I'm done crying. I was like, oh, no. I told you, you lost your privilege. Of you. Well, I didn't say privilege to him, but you don't get to use the iPad now. So then he started crying all over again, went back in the room, and then he, he came out, you know, it's like a minute and a half later, totally happy and goes about his business. But in the long run, he's going to know next time, oh, last time I wasn't able to use it all because I was harassing mom during her turn. <laughs> it sounds so silly when you say it out loud. It's real life with three-year-olds. But it, it will have the lasting impact. And if I let him get away with it that time, then I guarantee you the next time I was using the iPad, he would have cried until I just gave it to him. Your child might get angry with you, and that's okay. Or they might scream their head off, as Isaiah does. And it means that you chose the right thing to take away if they're upset about it. You have to acknowledge their feelings, but separate them from the wrong behavior. The other one was timeouts. The purpose of timeouts is to settle the brain and regain self-control. Sometimes we also need timeouts, and we can recognize that. We just need to take a minute, sit back. Generally, uh, timeouts are quite effective, especially with extroverts, the kids that always want to be in the middle of what's going on. And you know, like if, if Hosanna's in timeout, she's like hearing things and like. What are you doing? Like, she's like, she has to know what is going on, and it bothers her. But if you have an introverted kid, timeouts might not be effective for them because they might just be content to sit there in the chair and, like, think about things or do whatever. So you have to know your kid and know um, how they're going to be affected by the punishment. Yeah, I think another thing that Marianne said, and, and when we listen to these teachings that from 10 years ago, you can correct us if it's changed in the past 10 years, but you were saying keep them in the room, and so like one thing I do, you know, go to your room, and so like they're in their room, and uh, you know, you're just making some good points about, hey, listen, they're in the room, you're still kind of like the authority figure, you can see them, you can see their emotions, and then when they're ready to calm down and come in and reconcile, you know, that can happen. Um, when they're in the other room, they could be playing with stuff, they can be doing whatever, and it's not really a full-on effective. And then again, we're back to that third one, and so now it comes like the controversial thing, but uh, the punishment and um, uh, punishment and communication. So uh, rod and reproof comes from Proverbs 29, 15. And listen, I wrestled with this because you're going to have like these Christian scholars who appear to love God, and they're on one end where they're like, hey, listen, like this is what the Bible says. You should discipline your child and do it in a way where there's the use of some kind of physical discipline. And then you have these other Christian scholars who are like, hey, listen, no, that's not it. Like the rod is actually just talking about you're guiding your child just like as a shepherd would guide. And, uh, and I think it has that. But if I'm looking at it, reading these verses in Proverbs, I feel like the Bible tells us to utilize this, but it's done uh, in a healthy way. John Piper says, spanking your child is a controlled way of delivering this type of punishment, and it's healthy and measured deliverance of a non-damaging act with mild pain that makes a child feel the seriousness of what he's done. So they're feeling that, the seriousness of what they've done. The spanking may be appropriate when the child is in an extremely unsafe situation, deliberately defiant and disobedient, or severely disrespectful. It's not appropriate when they're simply just being childish or impulsive or had an accident. And the function of it, again, is to restore him back into the circle where God has promised blessing. And uh, we read through this article, there was two arguments against spanking. One argument was there's no excuse for physical uh, punishment. 
And again, uh, listening to, uh, to Marianne, she was saying, this is a teaching tool that gets the attention of your child and is a, a symbol of authority. Uh, by the time they're older, you're not, you might not need it anymore. You know, your words and the scriptures should be what's guiding them, and that's going to be the authority. But until then, the, the rod is used as uh, a way to get their attention and as a way to get them to understand that disobedience is completely wrong. And it, it's quick, yeah. like... And then it's over and done yeah. and you're reconciled. It's not like mm. or you're grounded for weeks and the kid is sulking. It's just yeah. Yeah. one and done, like it's over and you can move on. And I've wrestled with our kids like this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Don't do this, do this, bam, bam, bam. And then eventually just said like, all right, listen, I'm going to bring them into the room and then, you know, spank them, exercise that. And then like they come out of the room, like you said, like this completely new <laughs> changed person. It was like that was needed to get their attention, to have them see that their disobedience is wrong and then to bring them out. But the restoration is, is quick. And then the other argument was hitting children merely teaches them to hit. And so in the article, he made a good point where it's like, hey, the dog bit me. And so you're thinking the dog bit me of like, hey, this ferocious dog came and like took a bite out of my arm. But it was like this, no, the dog actually gave me like this bite. So there's this wide spectrum of what biting is from a dog. The dog bit me could be he nibbled on me and gave me a love bite to he chopped my arm off. Same thing with the, the hitting. We're not talking when we say you hit your child that we're going out there and we're, you know, dropping an elbow on him. We're, we're here. <laughs> It's, it's, you're there in the moment trying to discipline them in the way. And then uh, minimum necessary force for discipline. And I think about this one, you know, the kid that I was training asked me, hey, what do you do when you're on your traffic stops? Like, what, what makes you give them a violation or you let them go with a warning? Or like, what, what, you know, what's the parameter? Like, what has you do that? And so some people look at their history to see what they've had in the past. Other people do other stuff. Um, I think the minimum force necessary to get them back into the circle, I think of the traffic stops. I say whatever, I do whatever it takes in that time to get them to not do do whatever offense they did later on. And so some people, like, hey, listen, if you can gauge it during that time that this person needs a, a $100 ticket so that to get them to understand you can't drive 60 miles per hour in a 25 zone school zone, then you might have to do that. Other people, you talk to them, oh, you, you're totally right. Like, I understand I was late. You, you, I, I, was, I was wrong. And sometimes the warning gets them to do that. And so we're the same thing with their kids. Whatever is needed, the minimum force necessary to get them back into the circle. And so the last thing is we passed out, and I don't know if they made it all the way down, but they're on the end, uh, are these, uh, these four types of parents. And we thought this was a really good article. Uh, we don't have the time to go through the whole thing here, uh, but if you guys want to do it on your own, basically it's just going over these four types of parents, the permissive parent, the neglectful parent, the authoritarian parent, and then the authoritative parent. And it kind of talks about these things where you have the parent who might be a little more per permissive, like I am, and I'm kind of being like confronted with this, where like you're allowing them to do too much stuff, and then it sees what the result is afterwards that uh, the kid has uh, because of you being permissive. The neglectful parent, the parent who just like, hey, I'm, I'm at work, I'm doing my stuff, and they just leave their kids off to the side. Their kid, the kids grow up to have certain behaviors because of your parenting towards them. And basically, we want to get them towards the, uh, the, uh, the point where you're exercising discipline uh, and love and affection in the same amount. So uh, you guys can look that over on your own. You know, one last thing I want to say is that we want to represent the gospel in our discipline. So the gospel, obviously, we're talking about disobedience is, is wrong. Disobedience has caused us to be in the state that we're in right now. The fallen world, our hearts, everything that's wrong with the world right now, it's because of disobedience to God. And so when you see the gospel, we disobey God. We're cut off from God. The wages of sin are de is death. 
But then God comes in in his great grace and, and brings us from that and says, hey, listen, I've given the one man who actually was obedient all the way through, I've given his life for you so you can be restored back to me. We don't deserve that at all. And so when we're with our kids, leave room for grace. There's opportunities where uh, you know my, my, my kid might disobey or Hosanna might disobey. And in that sense, like I might think, all right, listen, she needs to have the punishment of her disobedience. Um, but there are times where like I was able to sit down and be like, hey, listen, in this point, you should be receiving punishment right now, uh, but I'm gonna exercise grace. And, and, and you have to ask God for wisdom in that thing. But there's times where I've done that and my daughter has come out understanding that, like understanding God's, God's grace in that situation. I deserve this, but I'm getting something that I don't deserve. And so you know, show, to be able to show the grace, and finally, uh, we don't want to lose heart and give up in our parenting. The problem and the struggle is that discipline is hard work and is slow work. It is painful for them and it is painful for us. Sometimes it can be incredibly wearying. After disciplining for the same thing again and again, we might wonder, is this producing anything? Are we getting anywhere? Will, will he or she ever learn? No matter how fruitless our efforts as parents seem as uh, at present, there is a harvest coming. So often it can be tempting to take the easier way out to let things go. It can make us feel like we are being more loving by being more lenient. The truth I find, though, is that this is usually nothing but my selfishness masked as love. In the short term, it can be easier for me to forego discipline. When Proverbs 13, 24 says that we must be diligent or careful to discipline, it means quite literally that we must take great care. It requires much of our time, commitment, patience, and faith. Well, that's it for this talk. I hope you enjoyed it, and I wanted to let you know that I did put the slides from this presentation, the original slides, on the site or in the show notes for this episode. You can get those at restitudio.org. Just look for episode 326, part two of our parenting class. And I also have a link to the other parenting class by Dr. Marianne Yukonis from some years ago uh, in the show notes, as well as the handout, Four Parenting Styles by Diana Baumrind. And although the Browns did not get into this, this is actually a really a really important data-driven resource for, for you. This woman started research back in the 1960s and was able to match parenting styles to outcomes in children. Her four different styles of parenting are authoritative, authoritarian, permissive, and neglectful. Of course, the neglectful style is where the parents are cold and unresponsive. There's no rules. They're totally uninvolved, indifferent, absent in a lot of cases. And the outcome in those cases is that kids end up with impulsive behavior. They're prone to drug or alcohol abuse and suicide. So, I mean, this is devastating consequences for this parenting style. If you are a neglectful parent, it's time to change right now. So that's the first one, neglectful. Then we have permissive, which is where you are warm and responsive. You don't struggle at all to show affection and love and to shower your kids with gifts, and but without imposing on them any rules or consequences. The associated outcome with that style of parenting is kids that struggle with impulse behavior are egocentric and have trouble with their own relationships. These, these are the narcissistic tendencies that develop. Then you have the authoritarian parenting style, and a lot of the permissive parents were raised by authoritarian parents, and then they swing the pendulum the opposite direction, and Although they think they're fixing all the flaws of their own childhood, they're in fact creating new problems for their children. 
anyhow, the authoritarian parenting style is unresponsive, absolutely strict on rules, huge expectations, and they expect total and complete blind obedience. And if not, there is going to be heavy consequences. However, once again, the associated outcomes for this parenting style are not good. Uh, We have lower academic performance, low self-esteem, mental illness, once again, drug and alcohol abuse. And so this is not recommended either. At the top of the list, the best parenting style is the authoritative, what she calls authoritative, Uh, But this is actually equal parts of discipline and affection. So you're warm and responsive. You have clear rules, high expectations, but you're supportive and you value independence. That's a parent whose goal it is to get the kid to be a grown-up one day who's able to take care of him or herself and who supports that child to do that, but at the same time holds the line when it comes to the rules. Uh, So the outcomes for this kind of parenting style with their children is that the the children have higher self-esteem, better social skills, lower levels of mental illness, and higher academic performance. So ladies and gentlemen, look, the question is all about the short run or the long run. Do you want your kids to grow up to be well-adjusted, have less mental illness, have more success in life, be able to do more for God and for others? Then I, I think it behooves us to face the difficulty of employing discipline in a godly, obviously restrained, non-abusive, but still very much an enforced way so that our children recognize those boundaries when it's time to suffer, that they would suffer in proportion to what they've done, all the while realizing that that's motivated and that is always coming from a place of love and concern for their ultimate outcome, not for their immediate feelings. Uh, So that's uh, really some interesting stuff. I encourage you to do some more research on that if you're interested in this, if you have kids in the house, young kids right now especially. Uh, This is really a great time to introduce these things, but please, 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 if you do introduce new rules into your home, you have to be consistent. If you're not going to be consistent, then just don't even introduce new stuff because it is going to take so much work to adjust to it. And if at any point, if a month down the line, you just slack off on the rules, let's say you institute chores. We have chores in our house. Uh, I have four kids. Three of them are on the chore chart. Uh, you're saying, Sean, what about the fourth kid? Well, he's only three, so he's a little limited, all right? He, he gets a free pass for a lot of this stuff, but he does help mom uh, once in a while set the table or, or unload the dishwasher, the kitty dishes, and that sort of thing. But our kids know, that the other three, that they're, they're, there are assigned chores every night. You know, one of them will wash the dishes. One of them will sweep and mop the floor. One of them will set and clear and wipe the table. And they know what those expectations are. They know that every night they're going to have a job is going to be a different job. It's based on the schedule on the fridge. It's laminated. You couldn't even change it if you wanted to. And it was very difficult for the first few weeks. But now that we've been doing it for so long, I mean, it's just all, all, all it is is a matter of saying to the kid, hey, go do your job. Go do the dishes. There's no fight. They just come in. They do the dishes. And then they go back to their own, their own lives. How do we get to that end result? Consistency. And uh, so I encourage you, I encourage you to, to consider what, what boundaries should you set up, not having the phone in the room. For, if you have teenagers, not having the phone in the kid's room at night is a no-brainer. We're going to get into this later in this class, but if you, if you have electronics in your kid's bedroom, it's absolutely going to poison them. Uh, because they don't have the self-restraint to not be on it all night long. 
And, and that has an incredibly high correlation with mental, with anxiety and depression, other mental health issues that we're going to get into later. So there's just some things to think about. Obviously, everyone's got to figure out their own rules for their own house, uh, or what I like to call our house rules. Then, then you've got to enforce them, and you do it with firmness and love and equal parts and with, with a lot of God's help and tears and everything else, but uh, you can do this. So, so lots to consider there for today. Uh, next week, we're going to hear the third part of this class. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to support Restitutio, you can make a donation at restitutio.org. We'll catch you next week, and remember, the truth has nothing to fear.